Blog Talk Radio. to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or blog talk radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. Following the show, you can continue this discussion on the Genealogy and History Forum of Afrogenius.com and research at the National Archives and beyond Facebook page. In fact, please like both pages. Well, tonight's show will focus on finding your family records on FamilySearch.org. And my special guests are Merrill White and Robert Kerr. Now, Family Search is a nonprofit family history organization dedicated to connecting families across generations. Family Search believes that families bring joy and meaning to life. FamilySearch.org is a database with millions of names that span across hundreds of collections. Records include birth, death, marriage, probate, many military, and, and many, many more. And Family Search is just a great place to start if you're looking to research your family tree. My guest, first of all, Meryl White, uh, is a graduate from Brigham Young University with a BA in history and a minor in music. He has worked for Family Search for 14 years and is currently a product manager for the Family Search Discovery Center initiative. Robert Kerr worked for 12 years as a molecular geneticist believe that? That is wonderful. Uh, identifying diseased genes by building very large family pedigrees. He has an MBA and worked for seven years at Apple managing strategic alliances. For the last seven years, Robert has worked for Family Search as a project product manager in the Family History Library. He is currently the Senior Product Manager of Search Strategies 
for Family Search. So let me give a warm welcome to Meryl White and Rob Care to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome. Thank you very much. Bernice, thanks, for to be here. thanks for having well, us I'm on so, the show. It's a delight. Oh, I'm so glad that you're on the show, and we have folks in the chat room. So this is just a wonderful opportunity for all of us to hear from the experts. Well, since both of you have spent a great deal of time working with uh, Family Search, please give us a little bit more information regarding your roles in the organization beyond what I have shared in the introduction. So, Meryl, why don't you tell us more about what you do at Family Search? My, my primary responsibility is working with our in-person patrons. So I help people face-to-face at the Family History Library, as well as I work with our Family History Centers, um, helping train those that then also help individuals when they come to one of our more than 4,700 Family History Centers. And so I, I, I focus on our support and our in-person experience. Oh, wonderful. And Robert? Well, Bernice, I uh, am the product manager over all of the search technologies. And so anytime anyone comes to Family Search and searches any of our records, our trees, um, any of the content that we have, um, they're using tools that are built by the engineering teams that I work with. I have uh, essentially three teams, and we build the back end to, uh, algorithms and search systems and indices that make uh, the many records available. We also have another front-end team uh, that builds the interface that users use when they're searching, putting in names of ancestors or, or other things in order to find our records. And that's what I'm responsible for. Okay, wonderful. So listeners, we do have our experts on tonight. So let's start at the beginning because let's just say many of us may not know everything that we should know about FamilySearch.org. So Robert, why don't you take us through uh, what resources are available on FamilySearch.org? Bernice, we could probably fill a week's worth of programs if we wanted to, to talk in depth about all of the various things that FamilySearch offers. Um, it's rich and deep and robust as far as the types of resources. But let me give you a brief overview of some of the different kinds of things that are findable at Family Search. I'm going to start off with historical records. We have uh, uh, great resources out in the field gathering uh, records. We have hundreds of camera teams. These are people that go into archives. They photograph, uh, digitize records. They bring them back. Those end up in our database, many of them indexed and searchable. Right now we have over 3.5 billion uh, names in our databases, and those are spread across about 1,800 different collections, uh, which grows every day. We're publishing new records and, and uh, making those searchable and, and those include the images in many cases, so you can find the record and also look at the image. Um, we have various search systems that help you 
search all across all of those names, all of those collections, or you can browse down and search just a single collection, or you can search by collection type. And I think maybe we'll talk more about that later. We also yeah. have a database that we call genealogies, and these are user-contributed, compiled uh, pedigrees where people have done their own research and they come to us and say, I'd like to offer you our, my tree, which in some cases has tens of thousands of people in it. Um, many of them are sourced and have notes and everything justifying the, the conclusions in those trees. We accept those. We bring them into our system. We index them, put them in a database. We allow people to search them. It's a fabulous resource for people who may have hit a, a roadblock, a dead end, because they can tap into the research that other people have done and, and, and see what um, what conclusions other people have come come to. So um, we can talk more about that. We also have a, a resource called the Family Search Catalog. And for anyone who's familiar with going to a public library, they often have a computer there where uh, you can do a search and find information about every single book, magazine, video that they have in the library. Well, Family Search has tremendous resources that we've gathered over hundreds of years. Um, around genealogy, and we make all of that available in a similar sort of catalog. So you can do a search and find compiled genealogy books. You can find gazetteers and maps, information by time frame, by location, etc. We also have a big effort underway right now where we take those books uh, of genealogical value, and we have whole teams set up and, and a heavy investment in scanning those books and digitizing them and making them searchable. So um, there are literally thousands of books that are available in our database. You can search for any content in those books, bring up that book and, and view every page of the book, uh, do next previous page, and, and find information that others have written about, or journals where people have uh, recorded their family history or their, or their own life. Um, we have a resource, I probably should have started with this one because it's the most amazing to me of all, is a resource we call the Family Tree. And this is a, an online genealogical tree where you can do your research. It's kind of like a record manager. Many of your listeners are probably familiar with having a piece of software on their desktop where they keep track of their genealogy. Um, we've built a system similar to that online. It's available to everyone for free. You can log in, get a family search account, and record your genealogy, build out your tree, link uh, the people in your tree to the records that we offer on our site or to other websites. You can search that. There's billions of people in this tree, and for many users, as I, especially new users, they. Uh, go in, they create their tree, and, and without a little effort, they can link in to lineages that other people have put up in that tree. Um, so unlike the user-contributed trees where we, we upload them, make them searchable, but no one else can change them, this is an online tree where you can build out your, your family and collaborate with other members of your family to, to work together to build your tree out. And everyone can see the work that you do, contribute. We have another resource, switching gears again, that we call Memories. We found that when you see a picture of an ancestor, it really warms yeah. your heart. They suddenly become real. You know, Names and dates yes. and places are mm -hmm. of rich genealogical value, but when you look your ancestor in the eye, 
and you start learning about their life and the stories, the things they went through, um, boy, it changes everything. And so we have a system online we call Memories where users can upload their scanned photos of their ancestors, tie those photos to their family in the family tree. They can uh, put in stories, type in stories about their ancestor and tie those to the tree. Other people in their family can add to and, and, and uh, comment on those stories. It's just a fabulous place for families to get together and document everything they know about their ancestors, their grandfather, you know, et cetera. Um, so, Robert, is, let me just go back for yeah. a minute now. What did you call that? Just tell us once again. Okay, the thing I just spoke about, we call them memories. If you go to familysearch.org, okay. at, at the very top of the screen, you'll see memories. Um, okay. And that is the place where you put in photos and stories and tie them to your ancestors in the family tree. Uh-huh. And there's one other resource that I just mentioned, and Merrill's probably more capable of talking about it even than I, but it's the Family Search Wiki. We've realized that as people do research, they discover things. They discover where uh, the records are kept in that little town or who to contact or how to do research in this location. As, as we research our family, we, we build up a lot of, of unique knowledge about the time frames and the places where our families were from. The Family Search Wiki is an amazing resource to capture that knowledge so you don't forget it. Um, so when you come back a year later, you know you, you can go right to the wiki page uh, about your little town and see the notes that you've taken and pick up right where you left off. But the best thing about it is as you gain that knowledge, you record it, and it becomes available for everybody else who may be researching in that little town as well. It's a, it's a wiki that it records information about locations and time frames, how to do research, the resources available, the migration paths um, in and out of a little town. It's, you really need to check it out, but it's a deep, rich place. And I kind of use it as a research journal, honestly, as not, to re- not to record my individual family members, but to make sure as I do my research, I don't forget anything that I've discovered along the way that might be of value. Now, I've only touched on the tip of the iceberg. Merrill has a deep knowledge of a lot of the other services that we offer, and I'll probably turn the time over to him to give an overview of that. Okay. Merrill, you're on. Thanks, Robert. Um, Yeah, I'll just continue to go with the services we offer for getting help. Right up in the, the right-hand corner of our screen, we have a Get Help area. And if you click on that, it actually opens all of the avenues you have available to you to do it yourself in terms of self-help learning, um, in terms of knowledge articles that we have about the product itself. But then that also goes into even needs for research assistance. And we know that people like different methods to be able to gain help, whether it's searching on like a, a forum or in a wiki, but other people want to talk to somebody, or perhaps people like doing live chat or even sending an email and getting that message later. So we actually offer all of those services. So when you click on Get Help, you get to choose what type of help you prefer, whether that be calling, going into chat, looking to see one of our um, in-person locations is at a family history center, and perhaps even wanting to go there to get face-to-face help, or sending us an email. And then you also can immediately get into all of our online help, 
of our knowledge articles that can give you step-by-step how to use the family tree, um, record searching tips in terms of how to use the records, um, understanding what's on the records in our research wiki, and then another great wonderful resource in our Help and Learn area is our Learning Center where we have over 600 courses that are all for free and they're even broken up categorically and by skill level. So you can go in and say, well, I need to learn how to do beginning Germanic research or beginning French um, in terms of understanding how to read their handwriting. And so you can go in and look by category and by skill level for beginning, intermediate, and advanced. And these classes are also there in multi-languages. So you could perhaps even take a class in French or German or Spanish and, of course, English. Um, just tons of things available to help educate yourself or help yourself based upon your needs and what resources we have available. Well, we actually have a comment coming out of the chat, and this is from Selma, and she said she called by phone to ask a question. They were helpful, and they sent her an email the very next day. And so it's really nice to see that someone has has used the Get Help uh, feature, and they mentioned that in the chat room. Bernice, I'd like to make just one comment. We've been through, in, in the last couple of minutes, talked about a tremendous amount of not only data resources, but also uh, support and assistance and, you know, and learning resources. And when you introduced FamilySearch at the very beginning, you made a note that it's a nonprofit organization. And I just want to reinforce that. It's kind of a pleasure uh, to work where Meryl and I do, because all of the things we've just noted are completely free and available to everybody. Um, mm -hmm. So I would invite people to come to the site. You, we do ask you to register um, with an account because there are a lot of things on the site like the family tree and the wiki and other places where you can contribute. You can add mm -hmm. data, change things, and, and so we, we do ask you to log in whenever you need to um, add things to the site. Many of the resources we have you can, if you're not changing, you can actually access them without an account, but it's great to have an account because the, the images you see, the, the things you can do are greatly expanded when you have an account. Yes. Well, we have two questions coming out of the chat. One of the questions, uh, they would like to know more about your volunteer program on Good, uh, Get Help. That's one question. And the other is, if you are not ready to share your family tree, is there a way to make it private? Meryl, you so want to take the first one? Yeah, I was just going to offer to take the first one and, and, and volunteer you for the second one. Um, sure. So with regards to the volunteer, and that's an excellent point, and that ties right back in with what um, Robert was just saying, how do we... How do we do this and have it all for free, and it really is through our volunteer effort. We have thousands of volunteers that help us in our support structure that most of them are from home, volunteer their time, you know, anywhere from 8 to 12, 16 hours a week because they love paying it forward and giving back because of the free resources we make available. So they take time to give research assistance or to answer those chats um, or even help answer emails, or 
perhaps these volunteers, if they don't feel comfortable giving research answers, but they do love helping make more records available, they participate in our family search indexing, where they give mm-hmm. an hour a day or a few hours a week, where they help index these records that we've digitized so that then they're searchable online. So there's lots of ways people can volunteer their time and what they feel comfortable giving to assist others. And that's what makes all of this available for free because of the thousands of volunteers that share their knowledge about records in our research wiki or in helping answer questions or helping index records even in different languages because they know they can read those texts. Yes, yes. So thanks to all of the volunteers. Definitely, we we really appreciate the work that of the volunteers in assisting all of the people around the country uh, with uh, their family research. Okay, so um, the second question: If you're not ready to yeah. share your family tree, is there a way to make it private? So today, like I noted, we have the, an online family tree. It is an open edit tree, which means you put your data in there and you can edit it. Other people can edit it as well. The answer today is no, there is no private tree available online on FamilySearch. Um, We do recognize the need for people to work on some ancestors for a time, gather up the right data, and we are in the future looking at um, providing the ability to have a private space to do that work. But let me just comment on the need to have things private. One of the the things we found as we've talked with a lot of users is that um, they like to have things private so that things don't change on them without them knowing about it. Um, there are a, a, just a few things that make people more comfortable with having a, a tree that's kind of like Wikipedia where anyone can go and change things. And, and the things that make people co- more comfortable with that are the following. When you put data up, and if, if it ever gets changed, you get alerted. So if you were to put some of your family tree up on FamilySearch.org, you can watch individual people that, that you put into the tree. And if anyone comes and adds new information or changes any of the information, you'll get an email that will let you know who changed it, what they changed. Um, So that's an important thing. And by getting alerted, people are more comfortable that things aren't going to change behind the scenes without them knowing it. The second is we've implemented a fairly robust change log uh, for every person. So if something changes, you can go look at at that log and see exactly what was changed, who changed it, the, the date it was changed. And if you disagree with that, you can revert that back to the previous state pretty easily. The third thing that makes people more comfortable is when you have a system that is source-centric, meaning when you make a change, it encourages you and enables you to tie records to that new conclusion to justify why you made it. And our system does that. It allows you to quickly and easily tie conclusions. We also encourage people to write in uh, well-reasoned statements. I'm changing this birth date because, and here's the record that proves it. Um, when you have a system that provides alerts, a system that allows you to roll back changes, 
a system that's collaborative so you can see who made the changes and you can work with them and discuss those changes. Um, a system uh, such as we built, what we found is that people tend to not be, uh, a lot of the concerns they have about putting their data out there uh, evaporate and they start seeing very quickly the benefits of collaborating with others and moving their tree forward much faster than they ever could by themselves. Okay, and then we have another question coming out of the chat. If we see an error, how can we correct it? So I assume the, the errors can happen in genealogy in a number of places. I'll start with the family tree. Um, if you were to go put your ancestor up in the family tree, put their name, their photo, some uh, information about their life and relationships and stories or anything like that, um, and someone comes and, and creates an error or you realize, hey, I was in error, further research leads you to believe some of that data is wrong, it's very easy in the family tree to just click that data and enter into an edit mode where you can change that data, uh, tie sources to the new conclusion or, or the new data, add a reason statement why you believe it's correct, and you can make those changes very simply. However, in the system, that's not the only place that errors can crop up. Uh, in historical records, it's not uncommon to have data on a record that is erroneous. And the number of ways that an error can crop up in a census record or a birth certificate or any, any kind of online digital historical record is myriad. It could have happened at the time the record was created. You know, if someone goes to the census taker, finds the family's not home, sometimes they would go next door and ask who lives next door. And at the time the census record was created, we found numerous instances where the actual data on the record is in error. Um, it may happen at the time of indexing where the old record has been photographed, the photograph was looked at, and the person uh, typed in, the indexer typed in what they saw on the record, but they misinterpreted the old handwriting or something like that. So errors can crop up in historical records in any number of different ways. Um, mm -hmm. Those on FamilySearch.org today, errors in historical records are not fixable, although we are working on that ability, the ability for someone to come in and look at a historical record and see that it was indexed as David, but be able to, to put in an assertion and say the name's not really David, it's Daniel, and uh, you know maybe the indexer got it wrong. And, and make that change findable by other people. We're building that. It probably won't come out till late this year or sometime next year. So today, if you find a historical record and you find that maybe the name is wrong or something was written wrong, you can still tie that record to the source and then add a description or a, you know, a note to it uh, indicating to everyone else who comes along after you that I tied the record, this is really my, my grandfather, um, but that date was, is mistranscribed and this is what the really real date is. In the future, when the records are, are editable and correctable, then those records can be corrected and any records tied to people in the tree will automatically reflect those changes. Okay, and I received a question um, prior to the show and it was concerning uh, 
the, the spelling variation of, of various surnames. And what could you say about that? Some some people are just noticing that the, the names, although the name sounds the same, it looks different. It's spelled differently. Yeah, that that happens frequently. You know, I if if an immigrant comes up to the window there at the uh, immigration booth and says what their name is, the the person sitting in that booth may hear it differently. The immigrant may not at the time have been literate and be able to correct it. There's so many different ways that these errors can crop up either in the record or at the time of indexing. Um, the other thing to not uh, trivialize is that people often used different spellings for the name. You know, they they may have used, as in my family, they used the name Allard when they were in French Canada. But when they came to the United States, the name was converted to Allor. Um, even inside the United States, people were motivated at times to make their name fit into the culture a little bit better, and so they changed the spelling of the name. So mm -hmm. the change may have happened uh, by accident at the time the record was created. It may have happened at the time of indexing. It may have happened at uh, by you know during the life of the ancestor on purpose. But what I can say about that is that our system uh, that we have at Family Search. One of the things I didn't mention is we have what's called a database of standards, meaning the the standard ways that names, dates, and places are are spelled and have changed. In our, in our database of name standards, for instance, you can come to Family Search, you can type in a surname, and what that database will return to you is a list of all of the name variants that are commonly used for that surname. That will include different name spellings across cultures and countries. It'll include name, different name spellings across different time frames. It will even include some of the most common misspellings. It's a fabulous tool if you're searching for an ancestor it helps you be creative in finding all of the possible name variants. Now, the database is useful to users who want to come and put in a surname and see all the variants, but it becomes even more useful because that very database is used by our search systems. When I put in the name Allor for my family, it will bring back records for Allor and it will rank them higher because it's an exact spelling of what I typed in. But it will also find the various name variants like Al Allard, and it will bring back those records as well. We do the same thing for places. If you know, if one of my favorite examples is Kingston, Vermont. The little town was known as Kingston, but along came the Revolutionary War. We kicked the kings out, and the town no longer wanted to be the king's town or Kingston, so they renamed themselves Granville. But if you go into our search system and you type in Kingston, Vermont, we'll bring back the Kingston, Vermont records from prior older time frame. We'll also bring back the Granville uh, records from the same spot of ground just after the name change. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. I am so glad to, to hear that, especially for us who may uh, – only have one place in mind, but we'll see everything across the I mean, kind of a historical record of what has happened and the different changes in the names. Well, uh, there's a, a, another comment coming out of the chat, and then after we take this question, we're going to take a break. 
But last year it was announced that Family Search and Ancestry were teaming up to make some more records available. Is is this going to be accomplished by indexing alone? If not, can you elaborate on the methods used to accomplish this? Yeah, let me just say a few words about that. Um, Family Search, as as one of the large players in the genealogical uh, realm, sphere, marketplace, we have relationships with all of the other large players, and that includes archives as well as companies, um, anyone who is prominent in genealogy. We work with them closely. We don't really view them as competitors. We realize there's far too more more records out there than any one organization can gather and make available. Um, we try and work in a, a very collaborative way that maximizes uh, the benefit to all the organizations and their users. So we have had a long-term relationship with Ancestry. Uh, these announcements are not uncommon. Uh, we have made billions, millions of records available together with them. Um, in some cases, we have a, a much greater capacity, for instance, to photograph and acquire records and, and save them from destruction. Um, and then Ancestry may have a, a larger capacity than we have to index. Uh, we're both working. We both have indexing and, and image capture and record capture facilities, but we recognize that each organization has some strengths. And so we collaborate in, in ways that uh, allow us together to make the most records available to the most people. So yeah, we've, we've made numerous announcements over the years. And the one that was referenced recently was uh, one that we came out with to say, you know, we're going to make hundreds of millions of th records available. Um, we will work with them to, to use the resources that each organization has best. And usually that does involve us capturing the images, them helping index the images, and then the records are made available on both sites in various uh, ways under various time frames. I don't know if that answers the question, but I hope it gives people some idea of what Family Search does. Uh, That's right. Partners. And yes, and yes, it, it did answer the question. Well, we're going to take a quick break come right back and when we come back we're going to get a little more specific now and talk about how to navigate the various search engines to find specific information. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back in shortly.
Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. You can also find the archived shows on my website, JeannieBRoots.com, and I'm always posting immediately after the show on Facebook. Now, the lines are open for questioning if you would like to ask a specific question or make a comment. So please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. When you call, I will call out your area code and you will be live on the show. You have been listening to two experts from FamilySearch.org, Meryl White and Robert Kerr. So let's go back to how should we navigate the search engines to find specific information, and I'm going to take it really specific. Let's start with marriages. How can we find marriage information on the site? Fabulous question. Um, Bernice, as we talk about this, it might be useful for those of your listeners who are at a computer to go ahead and launch a browser window, whatever their favorite browser is, and come over to FamilySearch.org. Um, you'll see what I'm talking about as I go through and discuss the, the search system, and it will probably be more useful for you if you have that in front of you. When you're at FamilySearch.org, click on Search up in the top of the, uh, the window there. It says Family Tree. Next to that is Memories and then Search. What that will do is it will bring you over to our search systems. And you asked about marriage info. So we have a search system that really helps facilitate finding uh, information from marriage records. On our, on our records tab under the search system, you will see that there's uh, some fields there that you can put information into. There's a first name and last name field. So if, you're, if I was looking for uh, marriage information about my grandfather, I might put his first name and last name in there. Then if I know that uh, they were married in a specific country or a sub-country, you know, like a state or province, um, I could put that in. I could put United States, and in the case of my family, as soon as I put United States in the country field, I could put uh, Michigan as the state. So on the search form, they have the first name, last name. Then there's a location section that's open by default that says country and then state and province. What that will do is it will restrict all of the records that we return to be from that country and that uh, sub-country jurisdiction or state or province. So in my case, I would only get records that originated in the state of Michigan or where the primary event on the record was from the state of Michigan. Now, to get just marriage records, I would click on the word type, restrict records by type. And if you, if you click on that, you'll see that a section opens up on the search form 
listing various types of records. In the case of marriage, I would click and check the box next to the marriage uh, type. What that tells the search system is I only want to see records of type marriage. Uh, now we know by through indexing and through acquisition that this is a marriage collection or this is a, you know, a, a census collection. But there are some collections that have multiple types in them, like uh, a church record might have baptisms and marriages and deaths all in the same collection. So when you check the marriage box, we bring back only records that are from marriage collections or where the primary event on the record is uh, type marriage. And there's other things that are available here on the search form as well. If you happen to know, uh, you know, if you have a very common name, you may choose to put in some additional parameters like a life event. You may choose to indicate where the marriage took place or where the ancestor was born. To do that, you would just click the words that are underneath search with a life event, and then you can put in a place and a date range. If you happen to know the spouse, uh, there's a section on the search form entitled search with a relationship. And if you click your mouse on the word spouse, it will open up uh, some search fields where you can put in a spouse's first name or last name. So I could, I could do any number of those parameters. I could put in first name, last name, and a spouse's name and find all of the records that have this husband with this wife. Or I could be more specific and say only return me marriage records or only return uh, you know records from that location. And then how far back? And, and you know I'm just throwing out how far back do you think we could find uh, marriage records? Well, that really depends. I, I'd have to go look at you know we have about 1,800 collections, and when we okay. list a collection, we usually have at least three pieces of data on that. We have okay. the location, the type of collection it is, and the date range that collection covers. Some of our records go back a long way into the 1500s, 1400s. Um, I, I don't know what the oldest collection we offer is. If Merrill knows, feel free to jump in. But we do have collections that go back a long way. And uh, so whatever we have in the database will come forward and be presented to you if you use that, that main search form there. Right. Okay, well, I have a question coming out of the chat. I mean, it's not related to marriage, but the question is related to, uh, is it difficult for your group to obtain access to records in foreign countries? And that's part one of the question. And how did you get volunteers to accomplish this huge undertaking? Well, let me take the first part of that. Um, and then I think Merrill's probably more capable of discussing the second part and probably has may even have good information on the first part but um, family search is a worldwide organization it's one of the unique things about our organization being a nonprofit we often acquire and invest in gathering record sets that may not be profitable for some of our partners to go after which means you know of the I, I think there's something like 450 teams uh, of operators around the world who go into these archives with uh, camera rigs in hand that help acquire these documents. Um, and we have teams that, that fly around the world looking at the different archives. Um, when we learn about 
important record collections that uh, are of genealogical value, those are all entered into a system that help us evaluate the relative worth of the collection uh, around the world. And we rank that on how many people could be served by that data, how rich is the genealogical data, how at risk are the collections. Um, we do sometimes encounter archives who have uh, needs that need to be met by making their records available. Either they are under constraints where the records can't be available uh, until they're of a certain age. You know, they have to be older than 50 years or something. We have, you know, sometimes we find archives that they're under a mandate to make them available but have to find some revenue uh, stream coming from making them available. Sometimes we have archives that have uh, a resistance or a desire to not make things available for any number of reasons. And all of that is taken into consideration as we, we go and rank and try and determine which record collections we should go after first. By and large, though, because we're a nonprofit organization, because we have great capability to, to capture and preserve records that in many cases are at risk, and when I, when I say preserve, FamilySearch has a very unique capability that most other uh, partners and people in the genealogical space do not have. Um, we have invested greatly in a state-of-the-art preservation facility here in the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, there's a large granite mountain in the, uh, the surrounding foothills. It's a solid granite mountain that FamilySearch has gone into, we've tunneled deep into the center of this mountain and formed a, a large structure in there with many tunnels uh, going deep into that, into that mountain, solid granite. And inside there, we have sealing the floor um, racks with drawers filled with microfilm and other records. This is all climate controlled and humidity controlled. Um, it's a facility that should withstand time and, and the pressures of society and things that might happen to records. Preservation facility, many of these archives are very interested in, in having family search, gather their records, digitize them, and make them not only available, but also preserve them for future generations in our state-of-the-art facility. Wow. And there's a comment coming out that there's a great video on the, uh, what's in the, in the mountains. There is. Yeah, if you come to our website, look for that video. It's great. Right. Well, there's another question before we get back to some specific uh, areas to search, to navigate uh, through family search. Uh, this question is related to West Virginia. West Virginia was Virginia prior to 1863. If there's a search for Jefferson County, Virginia, seeking records before 1863, Will records come up for Virginia or West Virginia? Well, that's a really good question, and I haven't tested that specific use case, but based on my knowledge of how the search system works, um, records should come back because the standards database for places, very similar to the example I gave with Granville and Kingston, Vermont, um, yes. Our standards database is aware of name changes that, you know, anything that can happen to a human being can happen to a place. They get renamed, they get um, annexed or married, they get divorced or split into new, you know, two, two cities. Some of them even move locations because the river is flooding, so they decide to move five miles to the east or something. 
And all of that stuff is tracked in our locations database and made available to our search systems. Okay. So let's get back to some tips and tricks to find your ancestors' information. So let's go to DEF. What, what can we find, I mean, what's available, and how should we go about obtaining that information? Um, the, the question is how do we obtain information about death? Uh, yeah, death certificates, death yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in our record collections, like I said, there's about 1,800 collections there, and uh, many of them are of the type death or have death events in them. There's a couple different ways that you can get to that death information. And I'm looking right now at the main page of the site. Uh, the first way, and the way I prefer actually, is to use the main page search form, put in some information about my ancestor, and then click the restrict records by type, and click the, the death checkbox. So that will search all 3.5 billion records across all 1,800 collect collections across all time frames, and it will only return me death records uh, that match my uh, other parameters. However, sometimes when you're trying to tease out a name from a collection um, that may be misspelled or you're not really certain of what name variants or place variants are there, um, sometimes it's really useful to not do a broad search across everything and instead drill down into a specific collection. And to do that on our website, you, you, can, you can do a search of a single collection. And the way you do that, if, if those users who have a browser window up scroll down just a little bit below the main search form, just below the blue search button, they'll see a link that says Browse All Published Collections. And by clicking that link, they're going to be presented with a page that lists all of the historical record collections that FamilySearch currently makes available. I, I've been saying 1,800. You can see at the top of that page it says 1,750. We're getting really close to 1,800 because more are being added every day. On this list of collections, which are sorted alphabetically, you'll notice that there is a, uh, some filters on the left-hand side where you can filter that list, because no one wants to scroll through 1,750 collections. So you can filter that list by applying the place filters, the date range filters, or the collection type filters that, um, that we offer. And when you do that, apply one of those filters, it will get rid of all the collections that don't match just what you're um, looking for. One of the more powerful filters on this page, however, is the filter by name by collection name, and it's right at the top of that left-hand column. And if you type in death, um, you'll notice that there's 140 collections that have the word death in their name. And I, I urge you to be cautious because there's many hundreds of other collections that have death in them, like church records and stuff. But anyway, you can filter by the collection name, by place, date, or collection type, and even uh, filter out only those collections that have images. And then when you choose, you find the collection from the date range and the place that you want. Um, just look at the records column, and if it has a number listed there uh, in the number of records, that means we've indexed some or all of that collection, making them searchable. 
Uh, we have a lot of collections you'll notice that say browse images. And what that means is that we, we've made the images available online, but we haven't yet indexed any of that collection. So with those collections that are unindexed, that say browse images, and I'm seeing quite a few of the desk collections that are browse image only uh, collections, you can go online and have kind of like a digital microfilm experience. You can go look at those images, do next previous, and kind of go through and look for your ancestors in those collections um, by looking at individual images. Now, mm -hmm. so two ways to get to desk is to use the main search form or to click that Browse All Published, get the list of collections that we have, and then filter it down and find the individual collection that you want. When you click on an indexed collection, it will be, take you to a page that has a search form. In some cases, those search forms are optimized for the individual collections making available the specific fields that those collections uh, have in them. And you can search from that collection page, and it will only search that one death collection and return results just from that one collection, giving you a little more power to be more specific in what you're mm -hmm. looking for. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the next question uh, is parents' names. What's the, the, what is, the tip the, and the trick to find parents' names? Oh, this is a really um, a good one. So if you if there's, it, it works both ways actually, Bernice. If you if you're looking for parent names of of like if I had my grandfather, I knew his name, but I didn't know his parents' names. One easy way to do that is put your ancestor in the first name, last name, and then you have to know which kind of collections might have parent names on them. Well, mm -hmm. census collections are a great one because you'll often find the mother, father living with the children in the household. Uh, birth collections are a great one. If, you, if I found my grandfather's birth certificate, I would almost certainly find his parent names on those. So uh, if you're looking for parent names, you can choose, you know, put in what you do know and choose which collections you want to get results from to specifically bring back records that are likely to have parent names on them. But if you flip that around, a common scenario is where you know the parents, but you're not certain of all of the children. So it can, it can work in reverse. And, and I would urge the, the listeners to, to note that you don't need to fill in the first name and last name fields in order to conduct a search at FamilySearch.org. I can do a search, and, and this has yielded a lot of great results where instead of putting a first name and last name into the fields at the top of the form, uh -huh. I go down under the search with a relationship section and click the word parents. And I can put in a father's first name and a mother's first name and last name. Uh, usually I'll do a father's first name and a, and a father's last name and then leave the mother's name, uh, last name empty. Just put in the first name because you really don't know sometimes whether the mother's going to have a maiden name or a married name on the record. But if you put in the father's name and the mother's name and just do a search, you'll bring back all the records that have a mother by that name and a father by that name. And if your names are unique enough, you may have just found all the records you know that for the, the children's birth, the children's um, records. And very quickly you'll be able to see if there's any children uh, there that you were unaware of. Okay, and then there's another question coming out of the chat, and it's, what is the World Miscellaneous Death and Burial Collection? I mean, what is the source of that? 
<laughs> oh, well, Bernice, in your kitchen, do you have a drawer that's your junk drawer you kind of store stuff in? <laughs> of course I we, do. <laughs> uh, when, when you're dealing with three and a half billion records uh, that have been gathered across many, many years, Sometimes we we have collections that uh, are are little sets of records that you know it's just not enough records sometimes to create a whole collection out of. But we don't want to lose them because there's interesting things there. Or sometimes we have records where we know they're of value, but they may not be very specific on the place. Well, the the world miscellaneous for us, turns out to be our catch-all. It's a place where we put things that we think are of value and we don't want to not publish them, but either the data is not specific enough or the collection is just too small to justify creating a whole collection out of. And so we put it under the world miscellaneous, and it's still searchable. Those results will come up in our search uh, when you do a search. And they're not missing. They're not lost. They're, they're, they're made available, but that's essentially what it is. It's our record junk drawer. I shouldn't say junk because these records are valuable. <laughs> I don't want to imply that they're they're junk records. Yes, but but it's, it's yeah, our but catch we, we got we it. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Well, going back to a, a question, I think you answered it earlier, but the question has been asked. Has FamilySearch.org considered adding a function by which users can submit corrections or alternate information? Yeah, I assume that question refers to the historical records um, because data in the family tree, for instance, is fully editable. So in the historical records today, again, we know that there are some errors on these records. Uh, the system we use to index them means that our error rate is very, very low. You know, we, we have an indexing system that's quite robust where every record gets indexed by two people and any uh, discrepancies is resolved by a more expert sort of arbitrator. Uh, we we believe our error rate on the records is quite low, but when you're dealing with three and a half billion records, you're going to have some errors, especially with the crazy handwriting in some of these old records. So we are building a system. We're putting in place the foundation pieces that are necessary in order to make cor uh, user corrections to historical records possible. Uh, it's a lot of work, surprisingly, behind the scenes in order to do that. And it requires a lot of changes throughout many of our computer systems and databases in order to do it right. So we have been putting in place the, the pieces required. We don't think that we will have that uh, before the end of the year or sometime in 2015. Uh, mm -hmm. Today, if you find a record that has an error, don't be afraid of it. Just go ahead and attach that to your ancestor in the family tree. Make a note. And at some point in the future, when those errors are, can be corrected, they will propagate across the system, both in the historical records database and also to those records that are attached to the ancestors and family tree. Okay. And then another question, has FamilySearch digitized to any newspapers? Oh, that's a good question. Um, we are working aggressively. That That's an area of... Uh, work that, that we have a lot going on behind the scenes. Um, as far as newspapers available today, I think there's there's very little, if any, information on our website um, about that now. Uh, we have one collection with a small number of, of um, in records in it from Australia, 
that's an index to newspaper cuttings. Um, it's interesting to note that with a genealogical record like a birth certificate, the data is really highly structured. You know, you have you people go in and they say this is the father, this is the mother, this is the date, this is the place. And the search system that's used to search a very highly structured data set like that is quite different from a search system that's used to search unstructured data. Um, we have the capability to search unstructured data, and some of the tools we use have been optimized for that. So we're looking forward in the future to, to do a lot more with newspapers and other types of unstructured data, like obituaries. Um, mm -hmm. and, but currently, I think our, our data online on familysearch.org with newspapers is, uh, is very little. And, very, and in the future, you'll see more. And then is there any uh, possibility of teaming up with newspaper sites already online? Well, as I noted, we're, we work with partners across all different areas of, uh, of records. Newspapers is one of those uh, types of partners that we would be working with. I can't speak in specific about any sorts of negotiations or partnerships that uh, we may have or that haven't been announced, et cetera, other than to say that, yes, we work with lots of people across uh, the whole genealogical uh, world, and we're very interested in people who have key records. Newspapers are one of those records that, uh, that have often have a lot of genealogical value, so we are interested in those. And I think you'll see more information and, and stuff about newspapers on our site in the future. Oh, great. Well, I just want to share a success story really quickly with you. Mary just said that she was unaware that a search would work omitting a last name and a first name and entering parent name. She just did it, and she found someone. So she said, thanks a billion. <laughs> awesome. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that we come to work for every day is to hear those kind of success stories. Oh, yes, that's wonderful. Well, we're going to take another quick break, come back, and continue to talk until we wrap up the show. Just another quick break. Alexander Bennett, and we're going to continue asking questions about FamilySearch.org. So the question that's being asked is, how often are new records being added on the site, and what specific records have been added to assist African Americans in the search process? 
Well, this is a great question. Um, how often do we add new records? And the answer to that is every day, multiple times throughout the day. Uh, we have hundreds of people in a part of the organization we call Records Operations, and uh, those teams are very busy, very skilled at uh, digitizing, preparing, and publishing new records. So the reason I, you know, I don't know how many, we've got millions of records coming onto the site. Um, we have really high goals every year for how many new records we acquire and make available. If you want to see uh, what records we have, the way to do that and, and is to come uh, and click that Browse All Published Records um, that you find on the uh, just below the main page search page form there, Browse All Published Collections. And when you're on that page, you'll notice you'll see that alphabetical list of collections. The last column of that uh, page has, is entitled Last Updated. And that column is actually sortable. You can click the word Last Updated and it will resort that collection, making sure that the ones that are most recently updated are right at the top. And when I do that uh, and click Last Updated, I can see that April 17th, it looks like we have published today one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different collections have either been newly published or updated with new records uh, just today. And yesterday, it looks like we had uh, five or six collections that got uh, new records added to them or collections were newly published. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for someone doing research to do some, some research and then go away for a week or something like that and life gets in the way. And, but you come back and you want to know which collections or any of the collections that I care about, uh, have they been updated. And the way to do that, again, is click the Browse All Published Collections and then click the, the header above that last column and you'll see which collections have been uh, newly published. Bernice, what was the second part of your question? Uh, the oh, second part of the question, right, specific records have been added to Cis African Americans in, in the research process. Okay. Um, I noted earlier that a lot of our collections, if you go to the individual collection name, which means you, you click the Browse All Published Collections, you found a collection and you clicked its name, it takes you to a page unique to that collection. Many of our collections have um, custom forms on them that allow us to expose the unique fields in those collections. And I counted uh, a little earlier today that there are 70 collections that we currently have. It doesn't sound like much out of, uh, you know, 1,800, 1,700 collections, uh, but they happen to be some of our most important ones. Many of them are the census collections that represent a large portion of our, of our records. Um, where we expose the race field, and you can search those collections and put in uh, a race. Usually, we choose that from a, a drop-down menu, and bring forward just the records specific to a given race. The other thing I would point uh, users to is, you know, we have some uh, collections from the, the Freedmen collections. Um, let me just pull those up. Oops. It always helps if I spell things correctly. Um, so we have like the South Carolina Freedmen's uh, Bureau of Records, and if I remember right, there's 
somewhere over 100,000 images in that uh, collection. It isn't indexed yet, but you can browse those images. Uh, we have the United States Freedman Bank records from 1865 to 1874. Looks like about a half a million uh, indexed records and probably many more images there. Uh, we have the United States Freedman Bureau marriages and the Virginia Freedman Bureau letters of correspondence. So there are some, some very specific collections uh, that would be of value there. But again, uh, I would caution against being too specific on one collection because um, many of our other collections will have uh, information across all of the races and many of those, some of those even have the ability to search on a specific race. Uh, to conclude on that question, though, there's one other resource I'd like to point uh, your listeners to, and that is our African American Genealogy Records page. Uh, you can find this, and I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm going to read a URL or a web address to you, but if you go to FamilySearch.org and uh, put a slash and then type in African-American-genealogy. We have a page specific to uh, African-American genealogical research. And on that page, we list some of those collections that I noted, uh, like the United States Civil War service records for Union colored troops, or the bank records, and et cetera. Uh, we also list on that page uh, a lot of information about other websites. So it's a great, it's a, it's a website you can come to, and there's a section on this page that says find your ancestors in the following internet collection. So you can jump from our page to well over a dozen other genealogical sites that are specific for African-American genealogy. And then a little further down on that page is, is some really valuable information. We have uh, wiki pages that are specific, we list those um, on this page, various wiki pages that are specific to researching African-American genealogy. There's one page called African-American Introduction, African-American Census. Uh, there's a page called African-American Research, Quick Guide to African-American Records. So all of these wiki pages are going to have rich data that will help a user understand what records are available and how to do research um, for their African-American ancestors. And, and Merrill noted as we started this, um, this program, the research courses. And at the very bottom of this African-American page, we list a number of different research courses that you can come, you can take. Some of those may have video and other course materials that are downloadable that instruct you, kind of like a class on how to do your research. Again, the URL for that is familysearch.org slash African dash American dash genealogy. Okay. And then it, it just what other kinds of record sets are being sought from the donors? Hmm. Well, let me say this. We, we have a preference on our website, and you'll see that as you look across uh, those 1,750 collections. Uh, we have a strong preference for certain types of records. Uh, we, we prefer records that have rich genealogical data on them, meaning names, dates, places, life events. We have a preference for records that have relationships, even ideally those that bridge the generations. So if you know your ancestor, you might be able to find parents or children of the ancestors. 
we tend to shy away from some records that have a, a paucity of genealogical data where, you know, like, I don't know, a phone book or something. Uh, we, we try and find things that help you bridge the generations, and if you find your ancestor, you, you capture a whole lot of information about their life. Um, so that's, those are some of the strong metrics we use as we, as we rank and score the various collections that we send our teams out to go capture. Okay, and uh, uh, we continue to get questions from the chat. So several years ago, FamilySearch created a CD of the Freedman's Bank. I, I know I have that CD. Is the FamilySearch site now more efficient than the old CD? So, uh, Bernice, I'm not really familiar with the old CD and all of the data that used to be on it. I've never used that CD to uh, do research, so I'm not certain what tools and software were included with that. In general, though, our goal has always been uh, when we bring things online that we bring on all of the data. In very, very few cases, as we brought, uh, you know, hard copy data like a CD or DVD and made that available online. In very few cases have we not brought all of the records that were available on on those uh, former resources. So yes, we try and bring all the data and make it available online. And by and large, uh, I think we've done a really good job at making the online system meet or exceed the capabilities of the former systems. Okay. Uh, it's different, the software and tools on like a DVD from what you'll find on the website. But again, we try and bring all the data and we try and make the software tools online uh, meet or exceed what the old one did. In general, though, I think an online resource is infinitely more easy to use and probably more up-to-date and accurate than any of the old hard copy systems that could never be updated. So, I, I you know, I, I think we the online sources are, are my preference if I was going to do research. Right. So, and I, I can speak. Yes. I can speak to that. That that uh, the Friedman Bank records that are on FamilySearch.org now are easier yes. to use now than they were than they were with the old CD, and there's actually more records that have been added because we did continue our our efforts of indexing, and so. Yes. It, it's it's far better online now than it was on the old CD. Okay. Well, let's talk for a minute, and we're kind of moving off of the, the FamilySearch.org site to discussing the role of the family history centers around the country. So why don't you tell us about those centers and um, what we can do to encourage people to utilize those uh, centers? Absolutely. We we have made an effort since about the 1960s to make places available outside of our main library in Salt Lake City for people to be able to go gain assistance and also gain access to our records. Of course, back then there was no Internet, so we would make a duplicate of the microfilm and ship it to them. And so over the years, the Family History Center has adapted to what's available via technology. So for years, it was the only place you could access the records out of Salt Lake, and now it's become a hub of activity where we're designing our centers now to be a place that individuals can gather, um, families feel welcome, including, you know, we really want youth there. 
and they can work together to help scan in photographs or other items they may have because we're providing to them um, scanners and other tools they may not be able to afford in their home or subscriptions to other genealogical websites that perhaps they could not afford to purchase on their own. So it's, it's a really wonderful place to come and get this in-person help. Use a subscription site like Ancestry.com or Find My Past or My Heritage or World Vital Records. Or if you were to go buy subscriptions to these websites, it would cost you thousands of dollars a year. But you can come use them there for free. Um, as well as then these electronic tools to be able to scan to preserve your memories to your family tree. And then the greatest thing that I love about the centers is that's a place where you can come talk face-to-face -face with people um, and really get help specific to what you need right then and there where they can teach you and show you. And depending upon the size of the centers, um, a lot of our centers also offer classes. Um, and so that, that also gives you an opportunity to go and increase your understanding and your own learning of what you're interested in with regards to our tools on FamilySearch.org or as well as other tools that are available to you on other websites. And are uh, the centers available in every state of the United States plus foreign countries? Yes, we have 4,700 centers, and about 300 of those are actually public libraries. We've begun an effort recently to do a lot more with what we call our affiliate library program. So many public libraries also would like to have the resources we have available. Still, maybe they're only, you know, some of these records haven't been digitized yet, so they're still on microfilm. And so we, we have over 2,100 in the United States, and there are centers in every state in the United States. And then also the rest are outside the United States. Um, a great place to be able to find them on our website, if you go up to the right-hand corner of the main page, or, or of any page on Family Search, when you click on Get Help, you'll see um, over on the left-hand side, one of your options is Visit Us. And so when you click on the Visit Us, you have the ability to search anywhere in the world to see where the nearest Family History Center is to you. And so when you search for them, it then gives you how to contact them via um, telephone as well as their address or via email, as well as links you to their own personal page. Um, every Family History Center has their own personal web page that's part of FamilySearch.org where you can click on it and then see specifically what resources are available at that center with regards to if they offer classes, um, what research expertise they may have, what types of scanners or other equipment they may have available to help you. Because it does vary a little bit by um, center and the size of the center as well as what country um, they may be in. Some of our centers in, in foreign countries are just happen to be a few computers um, because that's what we can make available due to um, the resources there as well as what we can put in, in one of our, our locations, but then others may have 10,000 square feet and 200 computers. So it just varies by the demand and the location. That's right, that's right. Well, you all have provided just a wealth of information tonight, 
And before we close out, do you have any parting words or any information that you didn't share that you would like us to know about before we close out? I, I do have one other thing that um, that Robert has done an outstanding job talking about how we partner with other um, entities to gather information. One other thing we also do is we partner with um, genealogical um, products in terms of companies that create ways to find your ancestors easier, whether that be a record manager or tools that add on to websites to find records. Um, so one thing I would also encourage your listeners to do is to go to familysearch.org slash products. If you go to familysearch.org slash products, you'll see all of the different web products, whether they be online only or Windows-based or Macintosh-based or mobile for both Android and or um, Apple. You can see all of the products that link directly with FamilySearch, many of which are free, to where with your FamilySearch account, you can use these other products to help you find and or keep track of your family history. Wow, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, anything else? Hello? I, I don't have anything else. Robert, did you have any other? Yes. Um, I just want to second what Merrill said. That's a great suggestion because there are some really amazing software uh, packages out there that interoperate with our site. And I would just invite everyone to come and use FamilySearch. It is available to, to all users everywhere around the world uh, absolutely for free. And the resources you'll find there are uh, will really help you build out your tree and, and uh, document your ancestors. So please come and use it. Um, we'd be delighted to have you uh, on our website. Well, thank you so very much. You have just provided us with some invaluable information. We've had a full house tonight in the chat, and I'm, I'm just happy that people are aware of the services available through FamilySearch.org, and thank you, FamilySearch.org, for making all of these records available to us. Thank you very much. So I'd just like to say to everyone, good night, and thank you, Meryl White and Robert Kerr from FamilySearch.org. And remember, everybody, your ancestors left footprints. Hey, all of those footprints are right there at the FamilySearch.org. Uh, and therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the Afrogenius Facebook pages and also, remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton-Raji on Friday morning and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett. Good night, and I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Good night. Thank you, Meryl. Thank you, Robert. Good night. Thank you.